Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today we are joined all the way from Colorado with uh, Julia Hers, the craft beer program director for the National Brewers Association. Uh, thanks for joining me, Julia. Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to see you and hear you. Yeah, so the last time we talked, uh, it was way back in 2018 when we were both at the um, Loudoun County, in Loudoun County for the, uh, uh, I guess it's called Beer Now. At that time, it was the Beer Bloggers and Writers Conference um, that may or may not happen this year. So I may get to see you in a couple months. Um, I may not. Who knows? Right. Maybe, maybe not. I remember Sterling, Virginia. Yeah. The patio. Um, so I just saw the announcement. The Brewers Association actually wasn't even prepared to talk about this. Um, the Brewers Association announced today that uh, GABF is going to be virtual this year. Great American Beer Festival lives on and strong. And yes, we. if you want full information, you can go to the website, Great American Beer Festival website or Brewers Association website. But what an exciting um, pivot and milestone to get to where we are able as a, to announce continue. So why, um, cause that doesn't take place until what time in the, it's October ish, right? It's normally the fall and we're also normally really tied to convention center date. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year we will have certainly, um, an immersive experience, which is out actually now, planned um, to be virtual and new dates of October 16th and 17th. So is it just with all the uncertainty and what could possibly be? And I'm sure logistically that is a huge festival to put on that it just, it made sense to make the decision this far in advance. Well, far in advance, many have been asking us for months. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> what the more uh, advanced size events in the country um, but yeah, logistically, you cannot turn a, a big ship quickly. Um, and it certainly was a decision that was weighed in many fashions. It also was confirmed um, behind the scenes by a announcement because we host the event in Colorado. Um, Governor Polis has uh, shared recently that the convention center itself, where we house the physical festival, um, would actually be used for state purposes tied to the, you know, the needs of COVID. So in the end, that also kind of sealed the deal. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess if you don't have a place to hold it, that kind of uh, really pushes your hand to making, although I'm sure it, it, it definitely is the wiser decision. That's a, a lot of people to pack into one place that may not be making the best socially distancing decisions as the night uh, or the day goes on. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we all start to behave at, you know, any events that are larger than groups of 10 people. Um, and the Great American Beer Festival uh, is, is so prolific, um, has such a great standing and track record. Um, and it's 62,000 people strong, um, at least in 2019. So I'm excited to say again that we still have that going along with the competition behind the scenes. And you're right. Today is just when we announced the news. 
So the um, what do you guys know how that's going to look now, or what's in store for it, or can you give us an idea what it what it'll be like? We will announce what it'll be like, and we're certainly still um, mapping that all out specifically for the beer lover experience. August 1st is when details will be fully rolled out and we'll get ticket information to all the beer lovers that do want to attend. And the neat thing is, is this could turn into even more of a global uh, event and happening for the U.S. beer community um, with many people internationally that have always wanted to go to Great American Beer Festival, um, but just not have been able to travel. Uh, so now anyone, anywhere will be able to go. That's what it, it's kind of um, nice with these virtual events and things like you, you lose, you definitely lose the aspect of in-person interactions and the camaraderie there. But like you just said, it opens up the ability for so many more people to be involved that may never have been able to go. Like I've always wanted to go to GABF, but it just never has been able to work out that I could take that much time to fly out to Colorado for it. So do you think it going forward, it could be just another added element whenever we are able to go back to having in-person festivals? I guess, I mean, I guess it depends on the success of the first time. Right. I think at this stage, it's more any answer for that type of question one year at a time, um, because there's just such new cultural, um, situation that we're all in. Uh, so no way to predict one year at a time. Let's get this under our belt, um, and take the learnings and then reassess and, and map it out from there. So, um, Last week, you had uh, the National Craft Beer Week. How did that go? Was because it, it was you had the whole um, campaign of uh, buy your friend. Was it what was the official name? Was it buy your friend a beer or buy hashtag hashtag give craft beer? That's it. Yeah, um, which was a great one. So yeah, Chris, it was last week, May eleventh to the seventeenth, American Craft Beer Week. Um, we've had American Craft Beer Week in some form since two thousand and six. Believe it or not. And it's been an annual um, week-long celebration on a national scale that for many years in its iteration have had celebrations in all 50 states um, and all indications would, it, would, would share that that was still going on. Um, but yet our breweries, our, our independent craft breweries in the US um, are, are certainly in different times um, in this May 2020 era. So they, uh, in the way they, form, uh, they formally participated uh, it varied greatly, everything from in-person um, uh, participation at brewery and tap room and or social media was a way that breweries were able to engage and, and be involved. Where, where do breweries in Colorado stand right now? How are they able to serve their customers? So every state has absolutely different um, uh, uh ways that they are following um if i'm not quite uh remembering the date chris maybe you know when um the federal government um and president trump launched the um you know open uh, up america again plan that was outlining phases of opening up colorado itself um, as a state has governor polis back to him it has its own plan to outline um, and breweries in Colorado have definitely benefited from the direct-to-consumer sales and the ability to deliver um, their, their beer, which is beverage alcohol, and or sell curbside, meaning past the physical establishment, 
um, for to go and pick up. Uh, so if you go to the Colorado Brewers Guild website, for example, they have an amazing database that shows uh, brewery generated information that shares which breweries are selling to go and for sales. Um, and we are looking at restaurants now just within the last week reopening um, and many breweries are kind of in the mix for that um, and how it's going still waiting to hear. Uh, we'll get the report today actually every Thursday we hear from the state brewers guilds and many um, guilds are waiting for their state to get to the phase that we're at um, and others have already been there. I heard from Arizona um, and a report on how it went last week in Phoenix, for example, from a uh, brewery rep. And everything was, uh, you know, a toss up. There's no one way that the pattern of behavior is going. Um, some staff are uh, walking um, around, hopefully, with masks, um, and others are, are not going to work. Um, owners are deciding if they should be open or not, still, even when the states are allowing them to be open. And it's up to each individual brewery, uh, if you have a tap room or a you know brew pub, on how you want to approach this. And actually, the Brewers Association has published a reopening checklist that is very robust on BrewersAssociation.org breweries. Um, and there's just pages and pages of now new. I don't want to call it compliance, but that you as a brewery um, or customer at a brewery want to take to keep yourself um, safe and also the staff that you interact with safe. There is a, um, a company in Baltimore that started making tables. And I think there was a bar in Ocean City that was using them that were basically a big um, inner tube around the little table section that kept people six feet away, where it's like, I think that's one of those ideas that on paper may have looked good. And then once people start having a couple drinks into them, I feel like there's just disaster to be had with people sitting inside of uh, basically bumper cars. I totally saw that <laughs> picture on social. Um, and it was a bar, not a brewery. And it looked um, like a unique way to uh, publicly experience a bar environment. Yeah. Well, we'll see. And it really wasn't covering the six foot range, although you were certainly much more aware of yeah. the space got one of those strapped around. So that was pretty fun to see. And, you know, we're going to continue to see innovation in many variety of ways. Some will work, some, uh, some won't. Yeah. I think that's going to quickly go into the not work category. <laughs> I can't even imagine like being a server at that at that bar or restaurant and try to navigate between all the people bumping around into each other. I mean, and you've got gyms, for example, and some restaurants are also taking this approach of considering putting up barriers between where um, people are. So a restaurant table with some type of shield around it um, that servers and guests can enter in and out of, just like at the gym, when you're seeing treadmills just in a line with encasement around it where you can still enter so yeah. lots of creativity who knows what's introduced now right this summer in prep for um getting everybody uh to want that is ready we're all ready to be back together um what we're seeing too is a movement to a movement afoot to get outdoor um beverage alcohol allowances that's and there's um there's rumblings that that's going to happen in maryland possibly as early as this weekend that restaurants bars and breweries will be able to open their outdoor seating yeah 
And that's with the weather's good. Um, that is one way that we can help beverage and hospitality with breweries being a part of that um, business community. That's one way we can be able to help bump up sales. Um, I don't know if sales for the most establishments will go back to normal um, right away. That's kind of a foregone conclusion. So yeah, local municipalities, um, counties and states uh, should be looking at what can be done to help beverage and hospitality so they are able to uh, you know, still survive because it's, it's gonna be tough and it's gonna get tougher and tougher every single month. Right, we're going to take a real quick uh, break to thank our sponsors. Um, then when we get back, um, I want to you, you briefly mention the, about surviving. I want to talk about the um, survey that the Brewers Association put out about um, the prospects of surviving. Sure. So we'll be right back. You may have noticed something a little different in the Roast House Pub parking lot. They are now offering beer and food to go from their food truck. The food truck will be open starting April 3rd from 4.30 until 7.30. On Saturdays, they will open for lunch from 11.30 until 2.30 and then for dinner from 4.30 until 7.30. On Sundays, they will be open for lunch from 11.30 to 2.30 and then for dinner from 4.30 until 7. As you are aware, things are constantly changing, so make sure to check out RoastHousePub.com and their social media channels for up-to-date information and menus. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of India Pale Ales, delicious fruited sours, robust porters and stouts, and crispy pilsers and lagers, Idiom Brewing Company prides themselves on continuing to innovate, utilizing new and or experimental hops, local ingredients, and unique flavor profiles. Unfortunately, you can't enjoy their tap room, which is located along beautiful Carroll Creek in downtown Frederick. Thankfully, you can enjoy their delicious beer to go and even have it delivered throughout the Frederick area. You can check out their menu options and place your order at idiombrewing.com. Make sure to follow them on social media for up-to-date options and hours during these ever-changing times. So it, it's probably been about, about a month now that the Brewers Association put out a report and was that based on that was based on surveying breweries directly, right? Yeah, we did two impact surveys for brewery members on April seventh. We published the results of our second one, um, and that was a uh, survey with results of more than five hundred breweries responding and giving insights. So I can the percentage was kind of staggering of places that think that they won't survive. Um, are more places because I've at least what I've experienced from talking to people locally when this was first announced, a lot of places were just thought we're going to go under, there's no way we're going to survive. Um, but as you said before, the, the allowing of home delivery, uh, we have that in Maryland, um, was probably one of the ways that really saved the breweries and then obviously being able to, to go sales, um, have more places, uh, become more optimistic about staying open or are we still looking at that? It was like 40 some percent, right? Yeah. Um, close to 46% of the breweries of this 500 plus breweries told us that they didn't think they could make it more than one to three months. Um, that's staggering and sobering. However, you have to take that with a grain of salt. That's multiple months, right? And, and the environment keeps changing every week. 
you're right that kicking in was um, breweries being able to actually take advantage of more direct to consumer sales and the loosening of those, of those regulations. Um, you've also got the payroll protection that was kicking in and maybe breweries that filled that survey out hadn't yet gotten their checks or hadn't yet applied. Um, so you have some relief that has come along. Um, many breweries that I hear from, um, they're not supplementing certainly at least even half of what their sales were with the delivery and curbside pickup, but they're supplementing, you know, a third, uh, 25%. Um, enough to maybe have a scale down staff. So I think they're constantly reassessing each one of them and any brewery you talk to isn't gonna give you the same answer. And the last piece is, is that um, I'm not hearing in mass. It is unfortunate. I'm certainly hearing about breweries that have closed and are attributing it to, to COVID, but it is not a large list. Um, it's happening one-off by one-off, and a lot of it was based on how that brewery business-wise was positioned behind the scenes already. Um, so really low margin of error breweries with very, very little buffer, obviously are gonna be much more fragile when a pandemic um, like this hits our, hits our culture and our world. Have you seen any kind of, um, where the effect of uh, density of breweries in an area has affected uh, individuals ability to survive like are in more dense areas is it harder for each individual brewery or is it really just by a case-by-case -case brewery basis i'd love to say we have that data that depth we might be able to look back in the rearview mirror once we get more time under our belt so much of our time has been spent in the first phase of this craziness um, building resources for brewery members um, queuing up what we want to lobby, right, on, lobby on and, um, you know, coalition-wise what we want to gather on. So the, the data analysis has definitely been strong by our chief economist, Bart Watson, um, but it is not nearly as robust as we hope it will be eventually. Um, but it's just too early to tell on that depth of level based on, you know, condensed area breweries and, and why closures are happening. Yeah, I, I think probably one of the biggest factors is what you just said, like how they were positioned going into it. And, um, a lot of it probably is, um, how leveraged they were, the amount of debt servicing that they carried going into this causing a lower profit margin, more or less. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, it's just anybody's guess on how's the funding going. Um, and breweries and planning, by the way, are still opening. I'm still seeing reports of breweries and planning saying, yes, despite this craziness, I'm reopening. So there's that tier. Yeah, so we just in um, in Maryland, I think there are two two places uh, that just announced when they'll be opening. Right. And and in a way, those breweries are, are positioned um, with a bit of an advantage, um, certainly disadvantages, too, that make it harder but they can now reopen with the footprint of the COVID era in mind. Um, and then branding wise, um, they're able to have a splash by opening their doors. Um, and maybe they'll be able to catch attention because beer lovers wanna check out something new. Um, we certainly should be open to continuing to check out what's familiar and comfortable to us, right? The breweries that were already opening. Um, but there's a, there's a 
an advantage to knowing that you need to maybe um, reconfigure your bathroom footprint at this stage to uh, be more COVID cautious and aware, for example. And so it'll be interesting to see their stories and hear them um, and talk to them in the fall on how their opening went. Um, but there's no better time to be hanging out at a brewery um, than the summer. So we've okay. got the good summer months coming up. I'm super jazzed that the weather's great right now and can't wait to drink beer on patios again. Yeah, I guess it, if you open during this and make it through those beginning months, when things go back to normal, it's going to feel like a cakewalk operating. So Yeah, I, I, I mean, crazy. it's crazy times, and, and who will document um, who's going to write the book on the hardest things about being a small business. Um, and it's going to be a, a, a dense novel of challenges because it's a litany of things that you're, you're hearing and we're all hearing. It's crazy. What, um, what types of things is the Brewers Association doing to help breweries at this point? Sure. So one thing that we did was uh, we're a nonprofit trade group. We represent the majority of breweries in the country. Um, and uh, we are positioned to provide resources to breweries of which we are hearing has been greatly helpful. Um, we've done everything from create a COVID-centric area for resources um, on everything from on-premise establishment and how you handle front of back of house, right? Draft systems, re-jump-starting your yeast, uh, all of that. And, um, you know, manufacturing information and good manufacturing practices during this era. Uh, that's very important. The government affairs stuff, Chris, I'm, I'm happy to do higher level discussion and, and let you know what we got in the cooker on that. And then a big one was, yeah, it is was because we just finished it. Uh, we normally gather the craft brewing community and it was a, a loss uh, on a personal and professional level to not be with 13,000 plus craft brewers in April. We had San Antonio Craft Brewers Conference and Brew Expo America originally planned and scheduled to happen in April. Um, so we, of course, put that on hold and stepped away from that. But we evolved it to an online five-week-long seminar um, type of environment for free um, where more than 60 or 70 seminars in the end were accessible on a week weekly basis live. And then people could can still... Um, get access to that through the end of May for any of the seminars that were presented from many of the speakers that would have originally been in San Antonio. And you made that open to absolutely everyone, right? Yes, anyone can access those? Yeah, through, through for a period of time. Okay. And then are they just, is it just going to go away or is then it's like only members can access? Correct. It would be membership access. Okay. Yeah, off of or yeah, I saw um, a lot of uh, people lamenting not being able to go to that and how much they were looking forward to, well, look forward to going to it every year. Yeah. Hey, um, we're going to take uh, one more quick sponsor break, and then we get back. I want to talk about um, how this is f affecting the Brewers Association directly. Sure. District East now offers curbside pickup and a personal shopper service to pick your favorite beer and wine. They're instituting a policy of social distancing by bringing your order to your car. Their hours of operation will stay the same. This is their small way of trying to reduce gatherings of large groups of people while still delivering the service their customers have come to expect. You can view their inventory at www.districteast.beer. To place orders, you can call 
800-200-0500, as well as calling and texting 240-367-4961 and 240-367-4149. You can stay up to date with their offerings on all of their social media channels. Fannish Farmwoods Brewery may have to close their tap room, but you can still get their beer to go. They will be open for to-go beer sales of four packs and crowlers seven days a week from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Please follow them on their social media channels for up-to-date information. At Vanish Beer on Instagram and at Vanish Brew on Facebook. So I know at least locally, um, the Maryland Brewers Association, a lot of their funding comes from putting on events. Um, I would imagine that the National Brewers Association is the same way, especially GABF is, I imagine, a large part of your budget every year. Um, how How is all of this affecting the Brewers Association and what kind of shape are you in at this moment? Um, so the Brewers Association has definitely gone through changes. Uh, these changes mirror what so many small businesses are going through. Um, on the association level, we announced, um, you know, pretty dramatic budget cuts, um, and we laid off 23% of our staff. So I have been in the trenches, just like all of us, in being greatly affected um, by the teams around us and um, the, uh, the, you know, the loss of labor to certain efforts and causes uh, is certainly not, um, it is touching um, us too. And so it's been tough time, um, but we're now in the phase of looking forward and getting at what we plan to continue to do, which is advocacy and promoting and protecting small and independent craft brewers, their beers and the community of brewing enthusiasts with all the resources we do have available to us. And we certainly have a world-class talented staff and team um, still employed and, and going at that cost every single day. Uh, so you had mentioned giving um a high level view of the government affairs things. What, what, are, what's in the, the hopper for that? Yeah. So on the government affairs side, there's so many asks to Congress right now. Um, but we are certainly included in the mix. Um, you have everything, um, uh, affecting small businesses that include breweries. And I feel like that's kind of a, a pattern statement that I continue to say, uh, but there's so many ripple effects that folks don't think of. One great example is CO2. Um, there is a CO2 shortage in certain states. Uh, that's a direct result of the fact that during the COVID era, uh, we're all driving less. And so ethanol and production plants for ethanol, which you know turns into gasoline, aka petrol, um, is one of the largest producers for the CO2 or carbon dioxide that um, not just breweries use, um, but the breweries do depend on um, for many things, including carbonating their beer and pushing their beer through draft systems and beer lines. So with the shortage, we are part of a coalition that is asking the federal government to look at that. Um, we have a lot of our work back to brewersassociation.org and many of the con congressional asks or um, uh, you know federal government asks in the letters that we've written um, on the website. So you can even read this information. But that's a big one to get at and get ahead. Um, we have issues of crowler shortages behind the scenes. Um, that's not great for brewery tap rooms, um, especially, and brew pubs who make up the majority of uh, breweries in the US. 
Um, so we want to see what breweries normally would have access to to then produce what they manufacture um, continue to flow. And then there's excise tax relief that we want to continue to see relief on. Um, lots going on behind the scenes there. Um, and we want to see things like, you know, congressional ask from us and others to authorize the Department of Treasury to, believe it or not, you know, create a workforce stabilization fund um, that uh, gives help to hospitality and, you know, trade sectors. And then creative thinking things like um, create a temporary tax incentives to encourage, you know, people going back to on-premise establishments, um, you know, and expand their businesses. Um, it's like a deduction. Pretend you're you're traveling on travel, um, but you're not. You're really just going um, down the street. We want to see, though, if you're doing business for work at an on-premise establishment, that maybe you can get a little relief for that, and then that can help give a bump to um, on-premise restaurant establishments that um, also include breweries and brewery tap rooms. So I had seen um, on the Crowler shortage front, which I'm guessing no one saw that coming from the beginning, um, what I, what I had read was that um, the all crowlers are made by Ball, and that Ball only makes them on a quarterly basis, based on historical sales and projected figures. Which I mean, how anyone makes anything. Right. Um, so unfortunately, they were made in January, and then the need for them greatly increased. Um, do you, do you know, did they correct enough during that second manufacturing run that that's not going to be a problem going forward? Or is there still the possibility of uh, another crowler shortage hitting? I can't, it's a terrible thing to get into the prediction game. Yeah. Um, and I can't speak for a manufacturer, so they would need to be the ones to answer. But, you know, it is on, you know, nothing's guaranteed until you have it in hand. So I'll leave it at that. And I also will say that many breweries, frankly, from COVID, then pivoted to produce beer that no longer was being sold via draft, right? Because keg sales dried up and on-premise and people weren't coming into the brewery in the beginning when you didn't have direct consumer to get their growlers filled. Um, so packaging those, those crowlers for to-go sales was a great way that many small breweries especially could pivot. So there was this new demand that yeah. could never be predicted. And so that is, you know, that is um, what's going on. And, and some breweries had a big stockpile, others didn't. So it's very variable, certainly. Yeah, what's been really nice locally here is that um, I don't think anyone in at least Frederick complete, ever completely ran out. They all helped each other so much sharing around their stock that everyone was able to make it through until different people got in more shipments. So it was, it was just another example of how, um, craft beer is this weird industry where people who compete help each other so much. Yeah. Such collaboration, you had breweries sharing equipment on um, with each other, looking how to help each other brew more advanced producing breweries. Um, I think of, you know, your area uh, and, and the Virginia side, because frankly, I'm from the DC metro area and it's kind of all one community, but you got Virginia, DC, and, and, and Maryland in the mix. Hey, that's that's your dog, not mine. That, by is, the way. that is my dog. <laughs> that clear. Um, Melissa Romano, who is in, on our board of directors at the Brewers Association and in charge of our tap room committee, 
uh, is also a very prolific um, brewery owner in Virginia. He talked about how they were changing um, uh, the ideas and connecting small taproom breweries with more advanced producing breweries that could brew beer with that taproom brewer and then package that beer with that taproom. And I, I thought another, uh, you, you talked about CO2 shortages. That's such a weird um, like thing where it's not something that's actually, it's not like a primary manufactured product. It's manufactured as like a secondary byproduct of other manufacturing. So is there anyone who just produces CO2 or is it always a secondary product? Well, I'll give you an example of some breweries now with newer technology uh, are having a CO2 recapture recovery unit in their brewery. Okay. And they're, because... So during have, fermentation, they collect the CO2 that's produced during that? Yep, and then clean it up, scrub it, and then use that, then put it into vessels that then recarbonate that same bacteria yeah, because it, it's like it's one of those shortage problems where it's not super easy to solve because you can't just say make some more CO two. Like it's it's always a part of making something else, and the CO two is collected afterwards. So it, hopefully that gets figured out because I know there. Were, I don't think we've hit any problems in Maryland yet, but it's definitely something that I think is weighing on the back of the minds of brewers. Yeah, but meanwhile, the technology is there, just not in mass, to recapture what breweries are already producing that they need. So it kind of puts a spotlight on the fact that CO2 is the main ingredient in beer. And if you're going to produce one of your own main ingredients, how can we get technology to be streamlined enough and affordable enough so even the smallest brewery can recapture their own CO2 and then safely be able to package it and reuse it? Have you seen... Um a difference between like how large national brands are faring as opposed to very small, um, typically taproom driven brands or who, who yeah. is more positioned to do well during this? Um, you know, it's still a brewery by brewery story, but some of the trends definitely show us that, um, we are seeing, uh, continued demand and support for the familiar flagships that has everything um, from big beer to, you know, regional craft brewers. Um, if you talk to one of the top 50, any of the top 50 regional craft brewers, some of them are going to tell you where they're hurting and where it's just terribly difficult. And then they're still going to point to brands of theirs that are up in sales. So flagships certainly are um, doing well. Um, in a uh, tough environment. Um, and then I think no matter what, if you're a regional craft brewery, you are also hit on the other side. So it's not easy because on-premise has um, you know, completely halted. So draft beer sales, those tap handles, um, I think Rotation Nation is gonna be a lot less this summer once restaurants are opening up. They're gonna basically you know, be buying more of the uh, flagships and beers that come from that one brewery rep who has multiple breweries, you know, in their portfolio or multiple styles of beer. And so that's a, that's a tough side, but off-premise has done very, very well 
certainly for all beverage alcohol right now. Um, and, uh, you know, regional craft brewers are in the mix for that. Yeah, there was, there was one data point that I was surprised when I learned about, cause I, I spend so much time just lo- talking to, um, mainly people that just sell within Maryland and a lot of them, I mean, like they're not doing amazing, but they're, they're selling a lot of beer and they're, they're surviving. So my thought was that like the large, the national or regional brands must be hurting. Then I was talking to a, a distributor who was saying like their, their national brands are on fire right now. And they tr- attributed to what you said, like that um, name recognition, people getting just going in, maybe not wanting to spend a lot of time in a, a beer store and just grabbing that old familiar name that they know they're going to enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, wherever you have that UPC code um, and they scan it at the cash register, that's certainly some of the data that drives a lot of what we all are aware of. And, and scan data is for off-premise sales showing, you know, big double-digit bumps for the majority of the top beer vendors for their key flagship brands. It's a, it, It's going to be interesting to see how everyone shakes out and what the world looks like when that, whenever this ends. Yeah. I mean, as a category, independent craft brewers are more than 90% of the 8,300 breweries that were in operation pre COVID, um, you know, that the whole group of craft brewers. So that's the tap rooms, the microbreweries, the regional craft brewers, we're definitely not going to see the same environment. We're going to see a changed beer community and, you know, a quarter percent of sales, give or take, um, are, are, are lost already from COVID. And so that is extremely, you know, a dramatic, a, a big hit and a, and a dramatic thing to process. Um, but we're also still kind of in the, um, in the, in the early stages of a long-term story. So we don't know the middle version of that story. And then we don't know long-term 2021 where this all will kind of settle out. Um, let's talk about something happy now. What, Yay. what is, what's something fun or good that you're working on right now? Fun or good is I continue to, you know, adapt and pivot, um, just like any of us. And I just still love, uh, I've done, I, I travel a lot for my work and, and do a lot of seminars and talks as a beer educator and an advocate for craft brewers. Um, and that really hasn't changed except for the fact that it's virtual now. So I keep doing these awesome, you know, Zoom calls and I'm still sitting on panels. Um, and I really just love that connection over beer where part of those Zoom calls are even more interactive, frankly, um, than maybe some of the conference environments that we're in. I've called into some and been a featured speaker at some. And no matter what, when you are calling in, you can ask questions and contribute to the content. So I just love that. Um, I did one with Chicago Bruzium last week. Ray Daniels, one of my mentors, you know, called in the, the founder of, of Cicerone program and the gentleman that had the job, um, my job before me at the Brewers Association. And Liz Garby, uh, just drinking beers, talking beer history. Super, super fun. That's my favorite, favorite work right now. Always is. 
So this is something you'll probably um, enjoy as the, and the author of a beer and food pairing book. Um, one of the sponsors of, of Uncapped is Roast House Pub, who once a month throws just an amazing beer dinner where it's a five course meal, each course paired with a beer from like there's the featured brewery and then they have five beers and chef Nico is just a mastermind with pairing beer with food and just with the food he makes. So the first one was last month where he came up with the idea to do virtual beer dinners. So he, um, he prepared the food, the each course, I think he called it par cooked. I'd never heard that term before, but partially cooked. Um, and then assembled each course into a bag with the can of beer that it paired with. And then we filmed um, a video of him going through the steps of finishing, finishing the preparation, plating the food. And then we cut over to the brewer um, talking about the beer and then the beer and food pairing. Uh, so we're going to be doing another one in June with, um, I may as well, I think I'll, I'll just be the first to announce it before Roast House Pub can. We're, we're going to do one with a local brewery called Kushwa, um, which is an amazing brewery. Um, yeah. So the next Roast House Pub virtual beer dinner will take place in June with Kushwa Brewing Company. Super fun, super creative, right? And one thing you brought up in there is beer in a bag. <laughs> um, let's see where that goes. Beer in a bag, beer in a box. Um, if, if you're drinking it fresh and there is no safety concerns, right? Because um, beer is carbonated. Uh, what are those uh, packages pressure rated to? Uh, not, you know, putting that aside. Oh, yeah, these were all, they, they were cans. So he just put the can of beer into the into the bag. What do you mean the can of beer into the bag? And then so, people bought the bag? Well, no. So, like, you, you paid for the, the beer dinner. And then each course was separated into a bag labeled as the course. Uh, like, so there was just a large, like, carryout oh, bag. Okay. And yeah. then, so the beer that went with that course, the can of beer was just in, in that bag to yeah. stay with its pairing. All right, I, I retract and adjust my. Um, <laughs> no, my they weren't. He 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 wasn't doing any kind of weird thing and just pour it like a tap. <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen breweries because the crowler shortage issue that is variable, right? Um, or people don't have growlers as accessible. We've seen breweries. Uh, you know, beer has appeared from restaurants. Even restaurants are now selling draft to go and acting like they are. You know. Uh, growler centric restaurants um, but they've been using other types of vessels even milk carton style yeah I was just going to see I've seen places that have like showed pictures of beer in a milk carton and I that doesn't seem like a good idea pretty sure a milk carton is not pressure rated right Um, strange times although there are vendors out there that sell certain type of cartons that are designed for pressure rated beverages Uh, but if you're getting beer, I mean, you guys, this is beer geeks and, and business minds listening to your show, Chris. But if you are, you know, getting beer from any stores, you already know the checklist. Make sure they clean their draft lines. They know how to properly fill a growler um, and you're going to be OK. If they if they are just winging it because it's a brand new thing and it's a great business model, asking a few questions never hurts. Yeah, that never, never hurts, especially on right. age, although. 
Actually, I don't, I don't know if that'd be a bigger problem now or less of a problem. It seems like, I guess it depends on the location. Some like, cause I talked to some breweries, they, they're having trouble keeping up with the amount of beer that's going out. Um, and the same with stores, just turning over product more than they ever did. So maybe yeah. purchasing that, um, year old IPA isn't as much of a problem right now as it was last year. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is really generalizing, but we're talking mostly draft filling. That's, you yeah. know, if you're going to get that, you, you want it fresh. Um, any crowler, growler, uh, and, and crowler technology and growler technology has ingress of oxygen a lot lower these days. The, the allied trade groups that are, you know, vendors putting together filling stations that are much safer these days and also, you know, um, keep the, the product as least influenced by oxygen as possible. You're still going to have ingress of oxygen, and that's going to advance the beverage to the point where it is no longer fresh. So, so if um, beer now isn't canceled, will you be able to go in Austin, or are you going to not travel? I have no idea how I'll feel. I'd love to hear that I have options to go places. Yeah, I'm pretty crazy for sure. That that's like I I don't even know why I spend so much time thinking about it right now because like it could be canceled, but like, that's something I, I have everything reserved and ready to go. But in my mind, I keep still keep thinking like in a couple of months, Chris, are you really going to want to hop on a plane and fly several hours to a convention? Yeah. A lot. So much of our decisions need to be made week by week right now. We don't have to plan ahead. Um, so I'm just waiting to see. And I know there was talk on their Facebook group getting a, a read. Many people were all in and others were like, because of this, I can't go. But I saw more people saying they would go. Um, I, I'm, I'm open-minded and not making any yeses or no decisions uh, except week to week. All right. So I, um, I look forward to seeing what uh, the plans for GABF are. It may be yeah. the first one that I get to attend. Um, yeah. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Um, Chris, thank you right back. You continue to do a great podcast that has now evolved even to video and live. I love it. Thank you. Um, you've got a, you know, got a great thing going as a Maryland girl. My hat's off to you. Nothing better than sitting down with some beer and some crabs. It's one of the things that got me into beer was that experience on picnic tables and, and in the summer in Maryland. And I, I love your area and hats off right back to you and your, and your listeners. Yeah. Just yesterday, um, a beer came out that is partially a fundraiser for the Maryland Brewers Association, but there was 20, it's either 27 or 28 Maryland breweries that collaborated on a beer called what Maryland does. And it, it was released yesterday. Like obviously has the Maryland flag on the can because we put that on everything. Um, and then it, I think it was $2 from every four pack sale. So, some amount of the proceeds are going to the uh, Maryland Brewers Association. That's what craft beer does. It's a cause for other causes. That's why everybody should continue to, to support their local brewery and independent breweries because it's more than just what's in the glass. Yep. Well, uh, once again, thank you for your time and uh, thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Right on. Cheers, everybody. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. 
They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to mcclintockdistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.